Our New Testament lesson this morning is from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 through 21, and that can be found on page 111 of your Pew Bibles. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem, and at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, And visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter Standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The author and scientist John Kabat-Zinn has made a career teaching people how to breathe. He has created a course he calls Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction. He describes mindfulness as actively tuning in to each moment in an effort to remain awake and aware from one moment to the next. Mindfulness is a way of bringing our minds into the present moment since, as you you may have noticed, our minds have this habit of wandering. Instead of noticing what it feels like to have the sun on our face 
or the smell of freshly brewed coffee, we fixate on that conversation we had yesterday or the one we're worried about having tomorrow. Another way Kabat-Zinn puts this is that we become lost in our thoughts. So he decided to see what would happen if you took people who were chronically ill or in constant pain or under intense stress and taught them to pay attention to their breathing as a way of tuning in to the present moment. He introduces this concept in his classes by asking people to try a little experiment. You're welcome to try it if you're game. Close your eyes, you sit up straight, and you become aware that you're breathing. Don't try to control your breath. Just breathe. But know that you are breathing. Your breath is coming in and going out. Now, John Kabat-Zinn knows as well as anyone that sitting there, just watching your breath come in and go out, is probably going to make you feel foolish or bored or both. If that's the case, the next thing he suggests we do is this. Pinch your nose closed and close your mouth. And then just notice how long it takes before your breathing becomes exceedingly interesting to you. Breathing is something we tend to take for granted. But if we stop breathing, we die. Which means that noticing our breath is actually a way of noticing our life. Fortunately, We have lots of opportunities to notice our breathing. On average, a person at rest takes about 16 breaths a minute. That's 960 breaths an hour. And if we live to see 80, about 672 million breaths in a lifetime. That is a lot of breathing. And while Breathing itself is not something we can choose to do or not if we want to stay alive. It turns out that if we pay attention to our breathing, it's really good for us. Focusing on our breath, whether we do it through a formal practice of meditation or just by stopping in the course of a busy day and taking a few intentional breaths, this reduces stress and anxiety, increases alertness, and boosts our immune system, which is why that course that John Kabat-Zinn created is now taught in hospitals all over the country. And we in the church know that paying attention to our breathing can even connect us more intimately with God in ways that can be truly transformative. Throughout the Bible, we find that there is a connection between our breath and God's presence. In Genesis, the first human being comes alive when God breathes into it. In the book of Job, the title character exclaims, The Spirit of God made me what I am. The breath of God gives me life. But there is perhaps no story where the breath of God is as powerful and transformative 
as this story of Pentecost, the day the apostles received the Holy Spirit and became the church. The word spirit in both Hebrew and Greek actually means breath or wind. What we tend to overlook, though, is that this wind, this breath, this spirit, it doesn't just come from God. It is God. God is breath. And just as our breath is necessary for us to have life, so the spirit is the very thing that gives life to the church. Pentecost teaches us that what breath is to human beings, the spirit is to the church. And if the church does not have the spirit, it will die. But like anything that is with us all the time, that happens whether we notice it or not, a lot of the time we don't bother to notice the spirit in the church any more than we bother to notice our own breathing. On that very first Pentecost, it was hard not to notice because the Spirit arrived with a vengeance in the very place the disciples have sequestered themselves away. They hadn't built a tower like we heard about in Genesis, but they had hidden themselves away in a room set apart. But when the Spirit showed up, the church breathed its first breath, and the disciples couldn't help but notice that because suddenly they could speak languages they had never spoken or learned before. This was not a punishment, and it wasn't a party trick. The Spirit was pushing them out of their hiding place to go and share the gospel. The Spirit drove them to leave that place where they felt comfortable and safe and tell the story of God's love, a story that would be heard and understood by anyone in Jerusalem that day because they would hear it in their own language. Just as God came to us as one of us in the person of Jesus to reveal God's love and mercy, so on Pentecost, God met all the people in Jerusalem right where they were, speaking their native language so that the story of God's love would sound as familiar to them as the sound of their own breathing. It was truly a remarkable moment in the history of the church. The problem is we tend to remember it as just that, history. When in fact, the appearance of the Spirit is no more something that happened only in the past than your breathing is something that happened only the moment you were born and never again since. The promise of Pentecost is that the Spirit is with us. We are breathing it in right here and now. And that the Spirit is equipping us and sending us out to share it, to breathe it out into the world. Just as the air we take into and out of our lungs thousands of times a day gives us life, so the Spirit is the breath of the church. We breathe in, we breathe out. We live 
The church breathes in, in worship, in prayer, in Bible study, in choir practice, in times of fellowship, in the ways we care for one another. And the church breathes out. When we invite a friend to church, when we go to George Mason Elementary to tutor students and support teachers and parents, when we travel abroad to provide water for communities in need through our clean water team, when we fill our freezer with casseroles and then take them to people going through a difficult time, when the care and compassion team visits those who can no longer come to church, when strangers come into our midst and we welcome them as God's own, when we baptize, the church breathes in, the church breathes out. The church lives. Will Willimon was once the pastor of a church in a changing neighborhood. The church had been losing members and so decided it was time to embark on a new effort of evangelism. One Sunday after worship, a handful of brave souls gathered together, and Willimon heard someone tell two elderly women, Mary and Sarah, to go down Summit Street, turn right, and start knocking on doors. A couple of hours later, after many discouraging conversations, this band of evangelists returned to the church and started to share their stories. Lots of people hadn't even answered their doors. Others hadn't wanted to talk about the church or already had a church home. Then in walked Sarah and Mary, breathless with excitement. We went down Summit, they said, and we turned left and started knocking on doors. Wait, wait a minute, Willimon said. You were supposed to turn right, not left. Yeah, someone else chimed in. You weren't supposed to go into that neighborhood. That's the projects. Well, anyway, Mary and Sarah went on. There were lots of people who weren't interested, but there was this one lady, Verlene. She came to the door, and she had two little kids, and we told her about our church, and she said she was just desperate. And we said she was just the kind of person we needed at our church. We invited her to come to the Wednesday morning ladies' Bible study. Mary and Sarah were beaming, but everyone else looked skeptical. What about the kids, someone asked. Well, we told her to bring them. They said we'd provide child care. Sure enough, on Wednesday morning, Verlene showed up at the church with her kids in tow. The Bible study that day was about temptation, and after they had read the passage, Willimon asked the women to share a time they had faced temptation. I'm thinking of trying this at my next Bible study, actually. At first, no one spoke. Then one lady told about how she had gone to the grocery store the day before and discovered in the parking lot she had a loaf of bread she hadn't paid for. At first, I wasn't going to do anything about it, she said. I mean, really, is one loaf of bread going to break that big store? But I knew I had to do the right thing, and so I went back and returned it. Everyone around the table nodded their approval. Then Verlene spoke up. 
Well, there was this one time she started. I was living with this guy, not the father of my second child, but the man before that. And we were doing a lot of drugs, and that stuff really messes with your head. And one day we needed some cash. And so he talked me into robbing this little service station. And we went in, and he put a gun to the man's head, and we made out with about $200, easy as taking candy from a baby. But something about it, it just didn't feel right to me. Then a few weeks later, he came up with another plan to rob a convenience store, and I thought about it, and I just couldn't do it. I told him, no, I'm not going to do that with you. And he beat me up. But that was the first time in my life I said no to anybody about anything. It was the first time in my life I felt like somebody Willimon said, okay, well, I think it's time for us to pray now. When John Kabat-Zinn teaches people to pay attention to their breathing, it doesn't take away their pain or their disease or their addiction or their stress or confusion. But it does change their relationship to those things. It changes the way they experience and participate in their own lives. When we take time in daily life to notice that we are breathing, it changes us. And when we take time in the life of the church to tune into God's spirit, God's breath among us, not just to take it in for ourselves, but to breathe it out, to share God's spirit, God's mercy, God's grace, and God's joy with the world. It changes us in sharing it, in breathing in and in breathing out. We live. After the Bible study was over, Willimon headed out to the parking lot where Mary approached him and said, Wow, your Bible study just got a whole lot more interesting. I'm going to go home and get on the phone because I think I can get a crowd there. I mean, this is good stuff. Willimon said, Look, you were told to turn down Summit and go right, not left. Mary said to him, Pastor, I am as bored with this church as you are. I think Verlene was sent to us by God to remind us what the gospel is really about. And she looked him in the eye, her breath filled with excitement, and said, I believe I can get a crowd for this. Amen.